Sorry, Nick. Why? Modern day podcast, uh, Beat Beat Stride. Today's totem talks, Beat Beat Stride. Anything bad of all things to do. Nick, it's the most recognizable I one. I know, I know. I typically go for the, the gusto. I know you do. You do. I don't blame you. Got- I noticed instead of just going into it, I fully apologize to you first. That was good. Uh, welcome, world, to the Totem of Talks. That's right. We're uh, we're a podcast who does stuff. We do. Uh, we talk. We talk about music. And boy, oh boy, did we have an episode we for did. you this week. Uh, if you've been following along with us this season. Uh, and maybe you've been following along with us since the beginning. You'll notice that we have a slightly different format than That's we right. had before in time, and we're loving it. <laughs> so the head-to-head we view are. is up. Uh, things, uh, it's weird. The weather, the Weather Channel called for a dense prog today. They did uh, rolling right. in over the hills Very to dense. couple with the literal world on fire smoke. That's right. Uh, which will date this recording very handily, but. For sure. I mean, yeah. well, as we go further on in years, I'm sure it will be any number of days. That's true. That's really reassuring, Nick. Right. Uh, but yeah, currently, uh, from what I've from the articles I've read, Canada is ablaze. That is true. And it's causing a lot of smoke to be drifting into Americas. Mm-hmm. So that's all. Yeah, for future listeners, this is the June 2023 version of that. I'm sure there will be like several versions of that every year from here on out. Yeah, well, they so the articles that I've been reading before we get into the music of it, all of them keep saying like this is just the beginning of fire season in Canada. Yeah, and I have to question where I've been for the other fire seasons in Canada. I know, right? Well, I'll tell you, um, and this might not have anything to do with anything. I'm not a meteorologist, but it is an El Nino year, and from what I understand. The southern strip of the United States is expected to have a very, very, like, uh, wet season, whereas everything on the northern half into Canada is expected to be overly dry because of El Nino. So I imagine that it it makes perhaps conditions rife for a a very rough fire season. Well, there you go. But we're not meteorologists. No, absolutely. I have no idea what I'm talking about, to be clear. Yeah, we are positing merely opinion I'm like we are not three a, articles and a YouTube videos worth. It of is all speculative. Yeah. Uh, but you know what's not speculative, Nick? Our opinions about the artists we That's cover right. today, and who are they? That's factual. Uh, we are starting out with Straubs today, and we are following them up with Rush. Correct. You only get one name. That's right. You don't get more than that. No, absolutely not. Uh, so I guess, yeah. uh, honestly, I've got nothing else here. Let's talk so Straubs. I guess I'll start discussing Straubs. So Straubs or The Straubs uh, are an English rock band formed in 1964 as the Strawberry Hill Boys. <laughs> of course. Just, Weren't we all? Yeah, just just loving that. Uh, so they were active from 1964 to 1980 and then again from 1983 until the present day. We covered three albums. We started with, drumroll please, the eponymous debut. Straubs, you love to see it. Which came out in 1969. We followed that up with Bursting at the Seams from 1973, and then we closed it out with Settlement from 2021. Yeah, quite a range there. Yeah, quite a range. Honestly, Nick, I would love to hear what you have to say about Straubs. I would love to. So the first thing that I want to mention, just to to get it out of the way, is I'll tell you, it's something about this era uh, and the studio musicians who were popular during it that's so cool. 
because if I had a dollar for every time we looked at an album from the late latter half of the 60s and saw John Paul Jones on bass and Nicky yeah. Hopkins on piano, I would be almost as wealthy as those two gentlemen got from playing all those, <laughs> uh, playing on all those records. But I mean, very cool. So you know you got some really excellent guest musicians um, playing in on this record. And I'll tell you, I, I, Straubs is known as, as a, a proggy band, but also... Um, a lot of their early work, especially, is progressive folk as opposed to more prog rock. And that that is very clear, I think, on this record. This is a very folk-leaning, um, quote-unquote, prog record. Uh, and, I, and I thought it was filled with some interesting melodies, some, har- some interesting harmonies and instrumentation. Uh, the fact that you have um, an upright bass being played by Ron Chesterman as opposed to an electric bass gives you some you know, interesting textures and tones that you might not hear from a lot of other bands at this time. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I was really fascinated uh, by the song Tell Me What You See In Me because they had another set of guest musicians. They were called Narasi and his Arab friends doing like a string section of uh, Arabic instruments, I guess, which was really kind of cool. It was almost like the kind of thing that you would expect the Beatles to do with all those um, you know, Eastern sounding instrumentations. Um, I thought, oh, how she changed was was the best lead vocal. Um, and what I know, I definitely think, and I think that that was Tony Hooper who sang the lead on that song, where Dave Cousins has more of the leads. And I will say for sure, Tony Hooper is the better vocalist, even though he has less leads. Sure. Um, but I thought they were like a cool and interesting and unique group based on this first record. Yeah, so... The the quickest description I can give you is if Mumford and Sons read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that was the vibe that I got. I mean, and it's not, a, not an insult at all, but it was definitely no. like a truly folk band who is like just discovering like maybe there's more than folk. Sure. Pushing the boundaries the a little bit. Yeah. And I think it was I think it was very strong. I think I I enjoyed the interview that was in the I don't know if you got to listen to that. I one. didn't because it was on the bonus version. It was on the was bonus just... version. Yeah, so I, I I didn't listen to the other two songs from the bonus version. I didn't want to yeah, add them in, interview. but I did listen to the little interview. It was, it was a, a fun little piece. Okay. And I think uh, mostly I echo what you're saying. I think it was a good mix of folk and prog. Again, uh, I'm a person who can take prog in slightly smaller doses as we go, and I think this was the slightly smaller dose of prog. Mm-hmm. And it was folk, which if you've listened to this podcast, we love folk. Yeah, yeah. We're we're folk folks over here. Yeah. So uh a big a big thumbs up for me for the debut of Straubs. And I'll take us into to bursting at the seams. Uh so we're not too far in the future here, a couple of years, thirty four years, and I think you are getting a deeper dive into Prague here. There's yeah. still some folk elements. Definitely. Uh, which I think is part of what gives the Straubs the Straubs their unique sound overall, and how they fit into like the puzzle pieces of prog rock. But this is a prog rock album. Yeah, like I could listen to the first album and be like, I'm not quite sure what I'm hearing. I'm hearing yeah. music, mm-hmm. and this one, the I mean, halfway through the flying, I was like, Ah, this is a prog song, right? And then I'm not saying that in an insulting way. I think it's an interesting group. I think they are experimenting with sound again in a in a fun way. I think that for me, I can tell like I'm a little less personally invested in this album. Mm. And mainly because like if you know, 
anybody who's listening on the podcast knows that like what I like about Prague and when I like Prague the most is when I understand the story of the album. Because Prague, I think, is at its best when there's a definitive story that covers the span of the album. Didn't I didn't personally get that on this one, and I didn't do a ton of side research because sure. uh, Straubs is your group this week. But I think for me, it was like a generally enjoyable album, an album that I had no complaints listening to, I thought was performed very well. And maybe just didn't connect with me in a super deep way. Sure. Yeah, uh, I will say I really liked the album. I knew right from the first song, like where you said I knew it was Prague. I listened to some of those guitar riffs, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Oh, yeah. So uh, Flying, I thought, was a really cool uh, opening track. And like you mentioned, there are times when they're still in their folk roots here, and there are times when they're like really expanding out of them. Uh, I think, for instance, like the big difference, you're going to hear more distorted guitar parts on a record like this than you would have heard on their first one. Um, And and other than that, again, I think their main strength is coming from the fact that like song to song, you really don't know what styles they're going to throw at you. You really don't know what instrumentations they're going to throw at you, but you're always going to enjoy it. Like, yeah, I think so. the level to which you enjoy each particular song obviously can can change, but every song is good. Like everything that they're doing is good. Um, and I particularly really like there was a part where their Spanish guitars and harmony parts playing on the song Tears and Pavan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was re- that was probably the highlight of the album for me. Uh, and what I the other thing I noticed, which is kind of cool, just because we're you know Philadelphia area based, um, the song Part of a Union is actually featured on the Philadelphia Union's like Apple Music playlist. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Yeah. Good. I no, mean, I as it should be. A, yeah, of course. I mean, I'll tell you what. For me, like the way that I looked at this album before, I know you're about to get into settlement yeah. here. This is an album where if you're like a casual music listener, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's right. got It's got pleasant melodies and harmonies involved. The instrumentation is like unique sounding, so it keeps mm-hmm. you on your toes. And I think if you're looking at it, and you're like a person who listens to Prague way more for the like the instrumentation. I think you'll really enjoy this one as well. Mm-hmm. I think it it is all there, and you mentioned it keeps it varied. Yeah, I think if you're a person who maybe listens to Prague for story, you'll like it, but it's not the strongest in terms of story. Like sure. I think of like the story of Prague and the instrumentation of Prague to be like the two things of Prague. Okay, yeah, and. And I do mean that even if you have, like, an instrumental piece. Like, yeah, listen, oh, sure. you can't listen to an album. I mean, The Snow you, Goose. Yeah, you can't listen an, to an album perfect. like The Snow Goose. Uh, you can't listen to, like, an artist like the Jeff Beck group or Jeff Beck himself, mm-hmm. like, and not hear instrumental music and think, like, there can be a story. Oh, 100%. So I just want to be clear. I'm not talking lyrical story. Yeah. I'm saying I'm, I'm thinking these songs. through something. Yeah, and I feel like this album, if it had to lack anywhere... Mm-hmm. that's where it lacked but again it didn't take me out of it and i didn't dislike it i really enjoyed right. it and that's all very good so moving on to settlement it's 2021 now 50 years essentially 48 years have passed since the last record and i will say dave cousins his voice i don't know how you felt about it it really wasn't hitting the mark for me it didn't like make me not enjoy the songs but it wasn't hitting the mark and i was nervous that 48 years was not going to do him any favors but I'll tell you, like, he held up okay. He was okay, and he was still okay in 2021. He honestly, at times, sounded to me sort of like a dime store elderly Gary Brooker. Um, <laughs> okay. Like, just the oldest, worst version of Gary Brooker. 
but like still listenable. Compositionally, however, I thought their skill was still on full display in this record. Uh, in terms of the actual writing of the songs, I thought they maybe even showed more range than they had previously. Like each particular song, uh, you would see a ton of variation in style and instrumentation. Um, there was an instrumental called Flying Frog that almost sort of sounded like a British folk version of Nickel Creek. Like it was I like that instrumental, that, yeah. like acoustic well, that's folk, the folk stuff, but like, yeah, yeah, and it was really cool. But like you could hear like there's a difference between American folk and British folk. Yeah. Right. And you could hear that pretty clearly in the way that that was played. Um, but I thought, again, like especially instrumentally, like a really good record of interesting songs. Like I really enjoyed listening to each song and each composition in particular. And so one of the reasons why I find this like so fascinating, how well the, the record blended for me was based on when it was recorded. It was actually recorded fully remotely. So one of the guys in the band, Blue Weaver, essentially had all of the tracks sent to him and put it all together and mixed it in his studio in Germany. But everyone in the band recorded all of their own parts from home and sent them over to once. Like, considering how well played and how well written all the compositions were, I was fairly floored that the band didn't do any of it together. I Like, that really impressed me. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's fascinating. I did right. not know that it was recorded remotely. That yeah. does add a whole other layer to it. Uh, and here's what I'll say. I'm going to say a lot of the things you already said, so I won't get super into them. But uh, positives, I completely agree with you. This band is is clearly taken the experience they've gained throughout these 48 years and incorporated them into some really stellar tracks in terms of variation, in terms of pure technical talent um, from the instruments. I thought all of that stuff was strong. I think, it, you know, again, if you have to say, like, this prog is is definitely more of a, I want to see how we can experiment with things rather than I'm going to tell a story in a song. Yeah, right. And that's it's okay. It's definitely about boundary pushing. Yeah, it's definitely about pushing the limit more than telling a story. For me, as a, as a listener, that's not my total cup of tea when I listen to prog. But again, it's not something where I'm like, I didn't like this. I thought it was really good. Uh, probably just this is a group that if somebody asked me about them, I was like, oh, they're really good. Yeah. Rather yeah. than like a full wreck on them for me. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm going to echo you. Dave Cousins sounds every bit of 76 years old. Yes. Yeah. But not like a horrible 76 year old, a 76 year old who still sings. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he, he just you can hear his voice is less controlled. <clears throat> you can tell it's a little less robust. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just sounds more speaky. Yeah. Although there were times where <laughs> I was kind of like, whoa, he still had this much of his upper range left to give. Yeah. Like he would kind of be a little bit speaky through a song and it would get to a climax part and he would hit a note and I would be like, I can't believe he still yeah. had that in him. It was uh, up and down. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to find yes, all of I'm ready for your facts. Okay. So here is my unique thing about Straubs. Okay. Now, I know we've talked about bands that have had multiple members before who have changed lineups. Yeah, of course. But Straubs has had 32 individual members in the band's history. 32. And it's not like the only other bands where we really see those kinds of numbers are like a Drifters or a Temptations or something where like a record label essentially owns a name and people are in and out of it. Um but for a band like this to have had 32 different members is crazy. 32 including... is 
a wild number. It is. It is a wild number, <laughs> including, okay. let me tell you, three Wakemans. Rick Wakeman, arguably the greatest keyboardist of all time. Okay. And both of his sons have been in the band. Uh, really? At different times. Yes. Uh, Sandy Denny, who is a singer, um, and she, you might remember, very sadly died young. She died when she was 31. Uh, but Sandy Denny, anyone who remembers us talking about, for instance, the album Four by Led Zeppelin, The Battle of Evermore is a song that Robert Plant sings a duet on, and the female voice in that is Sandy is Denny. Sandy Denny. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, there were, uh, like, I went through half of the people who were in this band, in and out also played in other prog bands that I knew. Sure. Uh, but the only other person I need to mention, and I and I previewed for you you this, like, a week ago, about potentially the best new name that we've ever talked oh, about on the podcast. Oh, you did say this. And someone was only in this band for a brief time. Okay. But their name was, first name, Bimbo. Last name, Acock. Oh, Bimbo no. Acock. Okay. Yes. What Bimbo a, Acock. What a wonderful, <laughs> what a wonderful name. Thank you so much for bringing this around. I knew that you needed to to hear about this. How, I mean, is it just spelled phonetically? It is B I M B O. Yeah. A C O C K. Oh my God! It's literally just spelled phonetically. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yes, and that <laughs> is that is the unique thing about this. Good name. for you, Bimbo. <laughs> What a name. My gosh. Anyway, six degrees. Okay, so I had a couple of things. Uh, obviously, the Battle of Evermore duet, the fact that Sandy Denny was in the band and all that was something. Sure. I thought about thinking, uh, talking about the fact that they toured with Supertramp on their Crime of the Century tour. Is also a, a good act. one. Or the John Paul Jones was. Right. But what I decided to go with at the end of the musician. day is in the 70s, they <clears> released <throat> several of their records under the Oyster label, which is a okay. record label that was, of course, owned by the band Deep Purple. Sure. And so that, that makes that sense, doesn't out, it? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go with their highlight. Okay. Okay. Uh, and it was, it was tough to find. I mean, like, let me say this. If we had the career Straub's had, we would probably consider it a very successful career. Yeah. Obviously, compared to a lot of the other artists that we discuss, it wasn't quite the same. But sure. in England, in particular, they were very successful. They had four top 40 records, including Bursting at the Seams, which they listened to, which uh, not only went all the way up to number two on the UK charts, but it had two singles chart um, at both 12 and two. So to have an album that hits number two and two top 12 singles off of that record in their home country, I think is a pretty big deal for them. So I can kind of consider that their career highlight. Okay. Now their career low late. Oh, no. This was mostly pretty. <clears throat> this is like, okay. it's a shame for Straubs that this is how they are now associated. Oh, but it was no. mostly a shame for me for my experience. Uh, so last Sunday, we finished recording our last episode, and I start for, you know researching and listening for this one because we weren't okay. sure exactly when we were recording this week. Yes. And sometimes, when I have a little time, something I like to do is to go on Reddit and look up what's going on and if that band has a community subreddit or sometimes a band like this okay. you'll just see some posts on them about in the prog rock subreddit sure so i go on reddit and i just search straws and i know i'm probably going to see a lot of posts about strawberries and things that don't really apply i'm going to have to sift through them and and get to the music <clears throat> stuff uh-huh. What I didn't know was what the very first search result on Reddit for Straubs would contain. Oh, no. Which was a pornographic image oh. of 
a Pokemon. No. <laughs> That's not what you want. I, it's not. It's not what I wanted. It's clearly what somebody wanted because it so was that's, the top result for Straubs on that's Reddit. That's your personal low light of that. <laughs> that was a low light. And the fact that this band. Oh, name, my God. You saw it. You saw it. Okay, I just it looked is. it up. What do you mean? And that's the first thing that came up, right? Oh, because the artist's name. The artist's name is. I'm not, should I say it? Should I call uh, it? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's the first Anyone post on who Reddit. Wants to can go on Reddit. Well, whatever. The, the, okay. the artist includes the word Straubs. That's the only relation sure. to Straubs at all. Dear God, <laughs> what the heck? Yes. All right. Well, yes. I could never look at that Pokemon the same way again. I don't even know what it was. I was just like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And that's, it was a superior. That's that's out of my range, man. Which I would assume is just a snake, so I don't understand the anatomy that I was, was looking at. Oh, God. All right. I don't want to discuss it any further. What a... It existed. What a low I light. I saw it. It's a low light for sure. Jesus. So so I guess let me uh, get to the highlight, or the, the meanest, nicest thing. Uh-huh. And again, I didn't really see anything that was mean about this group, but I did see something that was nice, which is about Dave Cousins. Uh, and actually, very recently... He was doing uh, a benefit for the Commonwealth Medical Trust and also for an organization called Safe Hands, which provides water tanks to African communities in need. So he even up until now, I wasn't able to find too much on what the band did, but even up to, to the present time, I think this was late 2022. Dave Cousins is still involved in in raising money and playing benefit shows for, for charities that are doing really good work. So I wanted to shout that out. <clears throat> wow. So much better than the other thing I said. So much better than the last <laughs> thing you said. Uh, and you know what? I think what better way to, to leave this now than right here and move on to Rush. Yes. Rush was a Canadian rock band that primarily comprised Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Peart. And they were active from 1968 until 2018. <clears throat> and we did three albums. We did. Now, I am super happy to say, Nick, we have two eponymous debuts this week. You gotta love it. With Rush debuting with Rush in 1974. Uh, we followed that up with, of course, Moving Pictures from 1981. And then wrapped it up with Clockwork Angels from 2012. Yes, we did. Which I think is a pretty decent, like, you know, beginning, yes. roughly middle, roughly end. Exactly. Especially for, like, the genre of Rush. Right. Uh, which I guess I'll just go right into. So Please. Rush, the first album, is very interesting to me. So if you are a listener of Rush, casually, you've heard Tom Sawyer, you've heard a couple other ones, maybe you're around our age, so you may have heard YYZ as part of one of the Guitar Hero rock bands. <clears throat> so you're somebody who knows of Rush in that sense. This album would knock you out of left field because it is not a prog album at all. It is a hard, heavy rock album. Yeah. And two things are very evident to me immediately. They're ba- they're young. They're, they're young. Sure. And I wasn't aware Getty Lee's voice could get higher than it <laughs> was. Yeah. My lord, I I know women would have trouble like that would have trouble singing this album. Sure, like just the register that he operates in. Mm-hmm. There's there's good stuff there. I mean, it's tight musically. Like they're clearly talented musicians. Oh yeah, 
who know what they're doing. Now, this is not Neil Peart. Right. John uh, Rutsey. It's John Rutsey. Uh, and he's good. I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be honest. I didn't fully notice a lot of the drumming, but I think that says a lot. Because yeah, I guess I mean, it's very Rush, competently done. I would it's never super knock competently him as a musician. Done. Yeah, I think John Rutsey did a great job. I think Getty and Alex Lifeson both also held up on their instruments. I think the average person is going to love or hate Getty Lee's voice. Yeah. I think Getty Lee has a voice that you have to you have to enjoy it or really work to get over it. Mm-hmm. It's very in your face in that register. And that's 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 just what it is. I think he's got immense talent, a very large range. I think you just have to like or hate the tone of his voice. Mm-hmm. Or after repeated listenings, like I know you initially did not I, yeah. like Getty Lee's voice. Right. I'm actually going to tell my whole why I initially hated that story coming in. Good. I'm excited then. I'll let you tell it. Uh, but I do know that you're a person who initially disliked and has since changed. Correct. And I'm looking forward to you telling why. Yeah, it's actually not the first time I've, that's happened with a band that I actually really love. Because initially, and I'll, I'll bet you get this right away too, one of the bands that's one of my favorite bands, a band I love their work. Dave Matthews Band. Oh, yeah. I, like, I, it took me a while to be like, okay, I can live with this voice. Yeah. He, because the, the rest of the very distinctive. So mm-hmm. It's a very distinctive voice and similar to Rush in a way where, like, the vocal of the lead singer is you're not able to look past it in the song. Yeah, right. And Rush is the same way. Now, I'll tell you, for me, I, while I don't love the tone of Getty Lee's voice, I marvel at the technical ability of it to the point where I enjoy it. Sure. I enjoy it the same way I would enjoy like an Olympic diver. Yeah, right. Where I'm like, listen, I'm not going to say I'm a huge fan of diving, but I just saw you do seven backflips and that's the coolest thing I've seen. Yeah, sure. And that's the same way I enjoy getting Lee's voice. Mm -hmm. And I think this album had some good moments. I think for the genre of like hard rock... I think they were airing a little long at times, like in the seven minute range, where like I Which wasn't. It's strange because I feel like that's probably the most popular song on the album. Like, just a, if you look at the the track listing here, the longest or the second longest song, the one of the songs that goes over working seven man. minutes is "Working yeah. Man," which has got to be their most popular song from this record. I, I would, would agree think. with you. It's the one that I'd heard before. Yeah. So definitely. Uh, and and listen, I think. It's totally fine. I just think that there are parts of even Working Man, which after a while you're like, all right, did we need that again? Like, come on. Because I felt like if you're going to get that long, and as they do later on, tell a story, have a journey. And I think this is a group that was just like chomping at the bit to do that. Right. And was experimenting and figuring it out and did a really good job. And I really enjoyed listening to it. Good. All right. So let me say some things. And I'm going to make a lot of comparisons here. Sure. So let me talk about some of the things I've noticed. One, because I was really, I, this was the first time I've ever listened to this record. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not expect Alex Lifeson, who I think is a very distinct guitarist, to sound so much like Jimmy Page. On this record, the fact that he had been listening to a lot of Jimmy Page playing and that had influenced him strongly was clear. Yeah. And that is why I thought this whole album sounded more like a Led Zeppelin album than a Rush album. I think the best you know what? That's I think a the really best good... comparison you can make yeah. between Lifeson's lead guitar playing and Getty Lee's super high pitched voice, this sounds like a Led Zeppelin record with like slightly <laughs> it's like imitation Led Zeppelin. Had they decided to okay. become a Led Zeppelin cover band, they would have knocked it out of the park. They would have killed it. 
I have to say this now because that is hilarious because what I put was like, this sounds more like Josh Sitzka than Getty Lee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is, that's, so that's just really funny that you said yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I agree with you that he sounds a little bit more like Josh than he does like Robert Plant. Yeah. But I, I mean, the, the rest of the music just felt so Zeppelin to me. Sure. Which, again, is the big problem that we had. Not the not the big problem, problem that we had. It was had. just an observation. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually, I will say this. I think for this style of music, because of that left Zeppelin sound, Getty Lee's voice really works for these songs. I agree. It really works. I sh- we should mention, because we're just saying Josh Sitzka, yeah. he's the lead singer of Greta, Greta Van, Van Fleet, Fleet. Yeah. who was largely considered like a ripoff of Led Zeppelin early on in their career. Right. I think I've moved away from that now in terms of their reputation, but that I is who we were discussing. Good. Yeah. I but really I mean, like them. I think they're yeah, really good like too. too. But yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say is, I mean, this album is virtually ignored in the Rush community because it's so different from everything that comes after it. But I really feel strongly after listening to this that they could have had a solid career as a hard rock band. Like they would have made it. They would have been just fine had they stuck. Had John Rutsey not been... um he had diabetes, I believe. Yes. And so he had a lot of issues with that, and that caused him to leave the group. Um, but I think had he been healthy and able to continue on, they would have had a successful career doing what they were doing. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. And yes, that is what happened uh, basically while they were still young, right after this album, basically. Like, walk gigging and stuff like that, he just he couldn't hold up. Type 1 diabetes in the uh, early 70s was a really rough diagnosis. Yeah, you hate to see Nowadays, that. you have you know, much more manageable uh, routines that you need as a type sure. 1 diabetic. But back in the 70s, it was a lot tougher. So Yeah, uh, that, is, that sucks. But I'll move on to moving pictures. So I'm going to be honest. I skipped the first song. First song is Tom Sawyer. <laughs> I skip it every time. That's fair. I don't like that song. It's overplayed. And here's the deal. Here's my Rush story. Here's my history of me and Rush. So growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, I was addicted to classic rock radio. I was obsessed with it. The only thing I wanted to be with my to do with my life to be was to be a radio DJ. Like I was obsessed with music. And yeah, I could tell were, you anything totally. about any classic rock artist, but I'd never heard of Rush ever. I had no idea what they were because here in Philly, the local classic rock station at that time never played any of their music like ever because I listened to them a lot and I never heard Rush once. So I didn't know they existed. And this band, while of course very successful in the United States, didn't really have like chart hits or anything like that in the US as opposed to other places. So my parents didn't have any Rush albums. So like all the CDs where I got a ton of my music knowledge from in my house didn't exist. I had no idea who they were. No one who I knew who had had any idea who they were. And then whichever one of those games, Rock Band or Guitar Hero, where Tom Sawyer was on it came out. And I don't like the song Tom Sawyer. I really don't like it. I don't like the vocals. I don't like the lyrics. I don't like the synth sounds. I don't like anything about it. And I say that as someone who now, as an older person, is a big fan of this group. And I listen to literally not just the three albums that we were supposed to this week, but also Hemispheres and Permanent Waves and A Farewell to Kings and 2112. So I listened to four extra Rush albums this week because I like them so much. But I hated that song so much, and I was just like, oh, this sounds like a bunch of awfulness to me, and I don't like the way, I don't like the timbres of it. I really don't like the vocals of it. So I hate Rush. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that I gave them another try at all. 
and it turns out that I really like every other song on this album like quite a lot. Uh, I, I really admire the musicianship. I mean, YYZ is such a brilliant instrumental. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but I, I love the other, like Limelight is a great song on this record. That's a fantastic one. Red Barchetta is a great song. The Camera Eye is an awesome little 11 minute epic. Uh, everything else about this album is a lot, a lot better. Like, <laughs> I, I could, if as long as this record starts on Red Barchetta, I can enjoy the whole thing all the way through. I have no complaints. I have only praise for the composition and the playing. And that's that's what I have to say about Rush. That's my Rush story. Okay. So, uh, first off, first and foremost, just to, just in the lore of the stereotype that is Nick McLaughlin, I am a stereotype. I have to explain to the to the people. <clears throat> you hate Tom Sawyer. I do. That's fine. You I like the book, though. You said why you hate Tom Sawyer, which is hilarious to me because it's it's right when they changed their sound in the eighties to be more like synth heavy, like right. that, like atmospheric synth sound of like the eighties rush, which you get in like moving pictures, signals, grace I, under I will, pressure. I was going to say Permanent Waves from nineteen eighty is my favorite Rush album. I right. love Permanent Waves. But what I'm saying is, so Permanent Waves. Uh, and then, but but then you're like Hemispheres, Fairway to Kings, 2112, all the albums of I the 70s this. when they're I know, in there. I know, I do listen <laughs> to mostly those. Like, that's what I'm saying. So, like, yeah. pre- you're literally, like, I love you. You're so basic at this. It's every, it's like, it's literally, no pun intended, like clockwork with you. Yeah, I know. Like, oh, an album came out in the 70s and it's rock oriented. Nick's going to love it. Let me say An album this. came out in the 80s. Nick's going to be mid on it. <laughs> Let me say this, because you might be surprised. Their second album, which came out in 1975, Fly By Night, is sure. my least favorite Rush album. I am surprised by that, just because I, I would assume night, it would have really. been something like Power Windows. I know. I've uh, never listened to that one, to be fair. I've only listened to like <laughs> 10 other different records or so. That's fair. That's fair. <clears throat> just, I thought it was a, a fun little fact there. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, uh, Moving Pictures, this is not my first listen through Moving Pictures, so... You know, I'm not going to give it to you from like somebody who's never heard this stuff before, but it's really strong. I instantly what was noticeable to me was how, in comparison to early Getty Lee, deep his voice sounded on this album. It doesn't Which sound is, deep. It immediately <laughs> at all resets your ear sure. uh, to like the Getty Lee sound you're familiar with. Um, I also think you're getting a really good characterization of Neil Peart on this album. Yes. Uh, you're getting a lot of the really important stuff that make <clears throat> Rush the icon of like the prog movement that they are. Sure, is the the three of them working in tandem with you know again some synth some synth sounds and some like atmospheric extras sure. to build in, but a, a more of it than you would expect is just the three musicians. Yeah. And like what they're able to build the three of them in here is really interesting. It's really strong stuff. And for me, I think Rush toes that line. Like it's it's fully prog, but yeah. I think they toe that line of like prog but with an accentuation of the vocal while telling a story and using the intricate sounds and movements of the music behind them in really good tandem. So I don't feel like they're falling behind in any, any one category like we had with Straubs with yeah. the, the storytelling. Okay, sure. <clears throat> so I, I think that uh, this is a big hit for me, and I don't dislike Tom Sawyer. Sure. I agree that it's overplayed. I, I think it's – I've heard that song too many times, I think, maybe, in comparison to the rest of the Rush discography. 
for sure. But I uh, I really enjoyed listening to this one. Uh, and I guess I'll just take us into Clockwork Angels. Please do. So here's the thing with Clockwork Angels. This album is like not a full marrying of the first two albums, not at all. But there's definitely a little bit of hard rock in here there mixed is. in. A little bit of like a pullback of the progginess. This just feels like a group that has become comfortable in their sound. They're pushing the envelope a little bit in places, but it's it, it's from a, a level of comfortability. Yeah, and that made. And I don't. I was gonna <clears throat> say I don't think you're saying that as a negative. It's no, no, no. Like that made a, for a, a really positive. enjoyable listening. Yeah. It's it's a it's a group who knows who they are, who was who knew they were kind of potentially making their final album. Sure. Who that had that had been like one of those things where they were. It wasn't like a farewell album. Right, but, but yeah, at this point, consider. you're this far in your career, you know. It, you know, from what I had seen in things, it seemed like they were looking at this as like, okay, well, we'll see what's next. Right, like we're, you know, how like where we are in our career, our next album we release, we are not planning on that ever being the last <laughs> album. Correct. So, like, you know, I obviously I think that maybe they didn't plan on it, but definitely like they were like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, more so than like we'll definitely come out with more music, and it turns out they didn't, and we'll get into the reasons but this is a really strong one for me i think first and foremost since we just talked about straubs and the vocal degradation yeah getty lee sounds great his i'll tell you his voice is noticeably lower here yes even as we go through and the lower it gets the better it is yes hands down i truly i truly agree with you and i think i was just that's what i was about to say i was like I feel like Getty Lee is going to be one of those singers who just will always sound good mm-hmm. because if you liked him in the seventies and eighties, he's yeah. just and he's just getting more mainstream sounding. Yeah, twenty years from now, he's just going to sound like me. He's just going to be singing <laughs> Rush songs down. You think here. it'll be that fast? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I like feel like maybe in twenty years now. he'll sound like when me. Getty Lee's one hundred and thirty. He'll sound yeah, a Getty Lee will be like a bass in you know twenty two, twenty two. Right in twenty one twelve. Yeah, in twenty one twelve. Ah. There we go. At that point, we'll be able to just deep fake him. Of course. Fully on stage. I'm, I'm sure, sure somebody has. <laughs> anyway, I really enjoyed this album. Uh, it was one of the few times in the history of this podcast that an album has ended. And I've been like, oh, wow, it's already over. Mm. And I realized it was over an hour long. Sure. Like, I truly didn't feel the time go by. Yeah. Well, that's good. Which is rare for me. And rarer for me when there's Prague because I, you know, I, I get bored. I know. That's literally what it is. And it's like, I just like need to do something else typically. Right. Like when I, to, to get the best experience for me in Prague, I've noticed that it's been a lot better for me since I started working from home because I'm able to listen to like four or five songs, take a break, go do something else, watch a show, listen to a podcast and then hop back in. Uh, that's really helped me with these like longer form albums, and especially when like there's longer form songs. Uh, but I really didn't have that problem this week. I was able to listen straight through and really enjoyed it. I didn't ever feel like oh, like uh, you know, like this is a lot. Like, <laughs> sure. Whereas I feel like in the past I've run into that, and I think there's two reasons. One, I think our overall shorter format of two artists helps. But I also think Rush doesn't give me a reason to ever be taken out of it or to feel like like this is running long. Yeah. And big thumbs up for me. Yeah. Uh, I also really like this album. I'll get that out of the way first. 
Um, maybe not as much as some of their other stuff, but I mean, there's, it doesn't really give you anything to complain about. I think every song on the record is enjoyable from beginning to end. Everything is well written from beginning to end. The performances are very good. Like, like we mentioned earlier, Getty Lee's voice is, I think at its best here. Uh, I mean, for him, aging is literally just getting a deeper voice. So he sounds more like a normal person on this record than he ever has before. So, I mean, that's just a big plus for me. And honestly, the the reviews were very similar. So Classic Rock, uh, the publication, named this the best album of the 2010s. uh, And I totally get it. It won the Juno Award for Best Rock Album of the Year. And I totally get that. Um, Just to mention one thing about a particular song, since we haven't done that for this record. I really love the closer, which was The Garden. I thought the the string orchestra introduction to that was really nice. uh, And it was a great song. Uh, great ending also this has been turned into a novel by neil peart he has written the novel i don't know is it called just clockwork angels do you know oh gosh probably is but there's i believe so i believe it is yeah so it he turned it into a novel with science fiction novelist kevin j anderson who is a longtime friend of peart's and they put the concept of this record together into a full-length novel so Actually, not even the first time we've had that this season because That's Dolly true. Parton's last record was a, a well, novel. I think that was refer. That was a collaboration like beforehand, uh, and it literally also spawned a loose sequel titled Clockwork Lives, and then also a graphic novel. Hmm. A lot of stuff. Well, there you go. Um, so I think that's really everything that we need to say here, right? So we can go into the, the grading section. Uh, well, I have my little. Oh points. my god! I almost forgot. How I'm could so you excited forget? to hear about them. Yeah, so I have a couple here. Uh, I'll start off with the most unique. I was struggling. Right. I was struggling to find something. I was like, this is a band that's just, like, achieved a lot of success. And, like, what do we talk about in terms of, like, what one thing? It's hard because you can't just talk about how good the musicians are. Right. Look, professional bands, great musicians are everywhere. And then I found something that I remember hearing about. But have, you know, since released it from my mind until sure. until this all boiled out. And I, I believe it was 2017. There was a group of scientists who discovered a new series of microbes. And, you know, they, they name them whatever they want. Sometimes they name them after themselves. Sometimes they name them after, you know, famous figures in history. Sometimes they name them after whatever. Sure. And these three are the uh, Pseudorichidymphus species, and they're named P. Lei, P. Lifesini, and P. Pirti. Hmm. So they named them after the members of Rush, okay. uh, specifically because this microbe has a like a large number of very small like flangella, flagella, which is like flagella. tiny hairs on the microbe. Yeah, and it looks like a long mane of hair. Oh, on the microbe. sorry, like Getty Lee, perfect. Like Getty Lee, so they named them after the members of Rush. Love it. Shockingly, slightly less unique than you'd think. There are like other microbes named after, of course, mi- like or and organisms, but still not something that happens every day. I'm counting it. Get off! My I love back. it. <laughs> um, moving on to the six degrees. Uh, and this was another potential unique quality. So I'm going to, I'll say this, this kind of ties in for me. Uh, Rush was unable to find anyone to release their initial single and their initial album. 
they just couldn't find anyone. It wasn't picking up. So they created their own record label. Huh. Not just their own like independent music company, like an independent production company, like an independent record publishing company and published their own record for 69 cents on the dollar uh, to release their first single, which is The Six Degrees, because it's a cover of Buddy Holly's Not Fade Away. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Right. So I think like the uniqueness of fully releasing your own record label could have come in if I didn't find the microbe thing. But yeah, Not Fade Away, Buddy Holly... Love Buddy Holly, obviously covered him before, and that's The Six Degrees. Excellent. Uh, Highlights and lowlights. I'm going to be honest with you. There's plenty to choose from for highlights Uh, for this band. You you could have picked anything. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were inducted into the Canadian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, They've won multiple Lifetime Achievement Awards. All of those, all of those things that contribute to a legacy. Sure. Uh, what I ended up going with was uh, all the way back in 1996, uh, they were officially given uh, the Order of Canada. Each of the they were made officers of the Order of Canada in 1996. Each individual member, sure, which is a rare honor, and it's very easy to make an argument that Rush is probably one of the most famous bands ever, but definitely from Canada. So happy for them definitely. to to rightfully win that honor. Uh, the low light, which it's it's they broke up, and it's the reason they broke up. Uh, so they broke up. They they disbanded in 2018. They stopped touring uh, in 2015. If I want, if I'm remembering my timeline correctly, or Could maybe be. 2016, or it might even have just been 2018. Uh, they they retired due to uh, Neil Peart having tendonitis in his hands. Uh, they retired from touring and then broke up as a band. And it was one of those things where they just kind of amicably split. Nobody really knew why. It wasn't until 2020 when Neil Peart passed away of brain cancer that it came out that like the band knew about it. It was they were Neil didn't want anyone to know about it while he was still alive. He wanted to, you know, keep his quote unquote dignity while it was all going down. Uh, So not really a low light in terms of anything bad that they did, but just super sad. Uh, Neil Peart is always in the list and could easily be argued as one of, if not the best drummer of all time. So huge loss. And I think that could be easily a low light in any career. Uh, And then in terms of meanest and nicest things, I have nothing for the meanest thing. I figured Uh, this band, this band is so stereotypically Canadian in terms of like, (laughs) they're just three of the nicest They're just dudes. three good guys, yeah. Like I've heard I like I was looking up like trying to find I went so far as to try to see if any individual people had like shitty fan experiences. Right. Like I and then I was like there's nothing. There's not like everything I've seen about them is they're just three stand-up dudes who like seem to be like aligned politically in like decent ways for humankind. Right. They seem to be Although aligned. not always. Well, oh yeah, well. Neil they, Peart was a big Ayn Rand uh, I, kind of yeah. person in the 70s. I did hear about that. And that's what a lot uh, of the lyrics are about in that time. Well, and then they went more uh, mythological, which I think was a good decision. Uh, but yeah, so like they just seem like three stand-up gents. For sure. Uh, in terms of highlights, uh, I could have said a bunch, but I chose to go as recent as I could. So on the last series of tours that the band had before they retired from touring. Uh, they raised over $2 million 
for various different charities. And the way they did that was just by taking $1 from every ticket sold. Beautiful. Just took just $1 off the top. That's going straight to charity. And it ended up being over $2 million. So, and and you could find decades worth of articles and comments and causes that they have gone to from disaster relief, cancer, hunger, environment, like all of those things. Uh, And they even suggested like the, one of the, First times they talked about Neil Peart was like donate to cancer research. So that's those are my facts. I mean, those I are it. those are the facts as I see them. So let's grade them. Let's do it. All right. So cultural impact. We're starting with Straubs. It's not going to be great. <laughs> These are going to be two slightly different scores. They are going to be slightly different scores. I mean, here's all what Straubs has going for them is that they were a lot more successful in the UK than the US. I think having four top 40 records and multiple top 15 hits in the UK has got to count for something. And that's pretty much where the list ends. Sure. Uh, I don't know if it's a full point. I don't know if it's like, I don't think it's a full point. (laughs) I think you could argue a point eight. Yeah. For like the moderate success they had in the UK. Right. But it's not global success and not a lot of sales. Certainly not. Decent charting success in the UK. Yes, exactly. Point they eight. they only had one album inside the top 50 in the US. Yeah. All right, point eight. And Rush, on the other hand. So before we get too far, there's thresholds here. Yes. They're in the Rock, rock and, and roll. roll Hall of Fame. They're in the Canada Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <clears throat> they have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. They have the Order of Canada. Uh, they, have, uh, they have record sales that will not lose them points for sure. We'll discuss sure. more of that in yes. Breath of Work. We're starting with a high number here. We are, for sure. And their influence on music is obviously Which I also have here. So they have been cited as a direct influence by a lot of artists, including members of Alice in Chains, Dream Theater, Foo Fighters, Iron Maiden, Jane's Addiction, Living Color. It is just a a long list. Like, it is a long list of very famous people. And now let me just for a moment play devil's advocate. Sure. At the end of the day compared to some of these other influential groups and, and successful groups we've talked about. Rush has only sold about 42 million albums worldwide, which for reference is less than the single White Christmas. Sure. It's but again, I think... It's still successful, but what, there's a lot of other bands that we've talked about or artists we've talked about have sold significantly more worldwide. Right. Which is, and, I think maybe just something we have to factor in. Uh, see, I my issue with that is I think that that is maybe a part of influence and like cultural impact. It's more of a thing with breadth of work. And I think with influence, we've had plenty of people You're right. that have scored like almost a 10 or even a 10 sure. who have sold barely anything. Yes. So the question is, where does the number lie? And, I think, and I'm not saying it's a bad number because my personal number is something like an eight Um, okay so you're you're starting in an eight or that's your ceiling that i'm not saying i'm saying i'm in the vicinity of so i could be talked a little higher a little lower depending on what you have to say i just want to keep in mind that like perhaps while they are very influential now and they've you know they've been in culture they've been in a lot of movies and things like that Maybe that makes them one of the most remembered rock bands now and for people of our generation, but they weren't necessarily felt that way at the time. Like their U.S. success was not as strong as you would think. They're definitely a band that's had a lot of worldwide success, Mm -hmm. but has mostly been 
um, a niche but well-selling group who didn't get played on the radio. And I mean sure. that in the nicest way possible because I really, really like this group. Uh, here's my issue. All the time. Here's my issue with your comment. I almost feel like that's a, a strong argument for them. It it helps. Like this is what, now, what you're was telling a lower me. Lower score like, before. Like if we were doing this podcast in like 1985, and Rush still like had only scored a couple of top hits. And when I say top hits, I mean like things that charted in like the 40s sure. in the U.S. And they were, you know, maybe not super well heard of here, um, except for people who are really into rock music. I I get it, but you could say that about a lot of artists. Like, right. if we started doing this podcast in 1964, we'd be like, oh, the Beatles, I wonder what they're going to do. Sure. Like, it was, you know, they were, they had not yet achieved their legacy yet. Whereas yes, they've achieved Their legacy it now. is stronger than, than what it might have been during earlier parts of their career. Right, and I think that is impactful. Sure. And I think the number of artists that they've influenced is impactful. I think their overall recognition and, like, honestly bringing... A genre of music that is arguably more for the musician than the than the listener. Sure. Into more of a mainstream. And I love that. So, and I think you have a lot of cultural significance. Like you said, they are in movies. Mm-hmm. They are in things like that. Uh, I don't know if you've read Ready Player One, but the album 2112 is vital to that plot and is, sure. and is <clears throat> one of the things... That like is most important to that plot, and honestly, that book is the reason I listened to that album for the first time because I read okay. that book years and years ago. Right. Um, and yeah, I so I just think that they're coming at it from a lot of different angles. Honestly, I mean, my floor feels like it would be like an eight and a half. Okay, so let's come up there then. Yeah, I think I think I'll go on my floor there, and you are in that vicinity. So yeah, and I think an eight and a half fits. I think it's good. So let's talk Breath of Work. Uh, for Straubs, we are looking at 23 studio albums, Holy which starts them at a 6.4. Yep. And then we're looking at sales that are not as good. Not I think as it's good. Gonna Probably hurt a hurting a little bit. Yeah, not significantly because I think having higher um, charting records, uh, particularly in the UK, and at least a bunch of them at least charted somewhere in the US, it stops them from falling immensely. Sure. But maybe a 6.4 down to a 6.1 or 2. Okay, yeah. I mean, I would be the 6.1 then because I was thinking it would drop into 6. And then we could talk about where we want to put points or takeaway points. So 6.1, and this is a group I really enjoy. I would give them probably a point one for each album because I thought each one was very good and each one was very different. Uh, So I'm going to put them back at a 6.4 where they started. Sure. And listen, uh, I liked them. I enjoyed listening to them. For me, I would probably give them a point one for the first album and then an even score for the next two. Okay. I like that first sure. album. It was a little more folky, a little interesting to mix the folk and the prog together. Yes, a 6-5. Excuse me, sorry. I put the wrong Yeah, one. so a 6-5 total score. Very good. Rush, on the other hand, has... Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. They have... Well, at least three 19. albums, Nick. Yeah. 19 studio albums yep. and that starts them at a 6.1 they have 42 million albums sold worldwide which is definitely going to help their score i would say that's about a 0.4 right so they're starting at a 6.5 i think is a correct spot to start yes. from and i will give my points first and i'm going to do something that i rarely ever do and give a 0.4 wow I almost never go above a 0.3 
for me, point five is like in my top five to ten favorite groups of all time. But anywhere kind of approaching that as a point four, and I think Rush gets a point four. Sure, uh, I think that takes him to a six point nine. I think this is arguable uh, in terms of like what they've done. Like a point four is a good spot for them. I'm tempted to do the same thing. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was varied. Uh, they did something which not a lot of artists do, which is make me listen to prog that is not like is not the exact type of prog that I love. Like when we when I talk about prog that I love, we've talked about Camel, we've talked about Kansas, like early Kansas, like those where there's things about them that do it for me. Sure, and I have like the list. This this group doesn't check the list. It doesn't mm-hmm. check the boxes on that list. Right. And for some reason supersedes that I'm still enjoying them. I'm still liking the variations. I'm liking the different genre touches that they pull on. I'll give them a point four too. Excellent. That gives them a 7.3 and we move on to instrumental talent. And I don't think we're going to end up with any bad scores today, honestly, because no. here's the thing. Straubs, were they showing off as much as Rush? No. No, they were not. Were they always super competent to very good on all the different instruments on their records? Yes, they were. Mm-hmm. And I thought Tony Hooper was definitively an above average vocalist. I think Dave Cousins is a little bit of a below average vocalist. But when you even all that out, you still get a number that's above average. To me, it's probably in the higher fives to about a six range. I think that's a really good spot. It's kind of where I was feeling. Uh, my personal breakdown was like just the musicians. I would probably be around a six two. Sure. I think I wouldn't add any for Tony Hooper. I think right. he would be he's considered in that level. Yeah. yeah. So I think he's good there. Mm-hmm. I think Dave Cousins would bring them right around a six for me. Sure. And my issue is, listen, we talked about how he is good for a 76-year-old man. Yeah. Still, I mean, that's a little bit of a rough vocal with a couple moments of, oh. But I was never like, I mean, there's artists we've had where, even in, in this, like, I know Geddy Lee wasn't 76 when uh, yeah. Clockwork Angels came out. But I can only imagine that in the five years or however, he's, I think he's right. 69. Okay. I think he'll still sound A-OK at 76. Sure. Yeah, I think so. So... Yeah, I would be fine. Maybe like a 5'9". Five 5'9 nine. Five nine it is. Rush. Okay, we're talking pretty high level here. You have... Uh, Neil Peart, arguably... He's Neil in Peart. the conversation for number one drummer of all time. So that's Neil Peart is a 10. You got that. That's where we are. That's where we're starting You've got, from. Not considering vocals yet, Getty Lee is a bassist. Also in that consideration of one of the best bassists of all time. Yes. You have Alex Lifeson as a guitarist, too. Maybe people don't talk about in the top five guitarists of all time, but he's going to be on all those lists. He's going to be on every one mm-hmm. of those lists. And I think we heard this week every reason why. I mean, Alex yeah. Lifeson is a remarkably talented and hardworking musician. Like, what he does is excellent. So I don't think we could have a number out of the nines at all. Uh, Getty Lee's voice is the thing that you you kind of wonder here because it's so like hit or miss it's so love or hate it's it's extremely distinctive and if you're somebody who doesn't like that tone right it's got to subtract some points here a hundred percent and if you're somebody who loves the tone it may add points but i think for us you can't deny the talent overall though correct like and that's like this is where i personally think the voice is the most subjective instrument in any arsenal. Yeah, of course. Because there's certain things that a vocal range can do in terms of its uniqueness that, like, a trumpet can't. Yeah. 
Whereas, like, listen, and you can know, you can understand the difference in talent between trumpeteers and the emotion of the instrument, uh, like, all day long. So I'm definitely not saying that, but I am saying, like, you could theoretically get two people to train on the same piece at the same talent level and perform it identically. And the odds of getting a vocalist to do that is astronomically Mm -hmm. harder to get two vocalists to sound exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So it's all subjective. Yeah. I think this is a group that starts in the nines, stays in the nines. I would be fine if we took away like a point two for those haters of Getty Lee's voice. Sure. So 9.8. You want to, you're, so you're thinking. I thought that's what you were saying. I, I understand so you, if you're I, not there, but I, I don't know if I'm at 9.8. Like I'm saying they start in, in the nines and whatever number we have to, whatever number like, we would think of. I don't know if of. I'm going under a nine and a half. I don't know if, if you were like, let's not go any higher. I'm really convinced that these points make them a nine and a half. I wouldn't argue with you, but I definitely am not going under that spot. And I think that's great. I I truly wouldn't want to go under a nine and a half. I think I was probably a little higher than that. And then minusing a point two, I think a nine and a half works. So here, here's the thing with these last two categories. Obviously we've had some differences between these two groups uh, in the first couple. There's just obvious things there. I don't know how obvious the differences are here in these last two categories. So let me say for songwriting, these two groups I'm at a very similar and a very good score. The difference being, I think the compositions that Rush does are more complex. And I think the compositions that Straubs does are much more varied in their instrumentation and genre. And I think both of these bands show a lot. They're, you know, they're near the top of their game here when it comes to composition. I completely agree. I think the potential downside for Straubs is, like I said, some of that storytelling that I'm not getting from them. Sure. But again, the upside, as you mentioned, is, is like it's the, the variance. Composition. It's the so many yeah. different things. Exactly. And I think so songwriting, I'm trying to think of a really fair number here. It's easy to put them really high because of the the pure enjoyment we got listening to them. The sheer number of records. Sure. Both I mean, the the volume of their writing is also pretty high, uh, and to and good from beginning to middle to end. From correct in terms of a songwriting standpoint, I completely agree. They haven't achieved a ton of sales. They haven't achieved a ton well, of sure, yeah, mainstream success. And I think we maybe take that into minor account here. Right. Again, I don't think this is like they'd be a ten, but because of that, they're a five. Right. But, like, you could argue that they could be in the eights, and maybe because of that, we put them in the sevens. Okay. But I think I don't want to go lower than the sevens. No, I, me neither. Yeah. I would be okay into the mid to upper sevens, honestly. And I the, think that's a great spot for them. I think, like, a seven, in between a seven, seven, and an eight would be where I would fit with them. All right. Well, I'm going to go with seven eights then, because okay. I felt strongly on the positive side. So I'll kind of round you up. I love it. So, two seven eights there. And poetic talent, I mean, I think you've been knocking Straub sort of for not having like a story to tell, but I sure. do think their lyrics had something to say. I think Straub's is a group yeah. that 100% like their lyrics didn't mean absolutely nothing. And totally. on occasion, they were a, really about an issue or something that they felt was important, even though it wasn't necessarily like done in uh, a novelized version. It wasn't necessarily sure. like that. I think, I think. You're hitting the nail on the head with that. It's definitely not me knocking the quality of lyric. 
and instead just saying like with Prague, one of the things that I like the most out of it is like there are things that connect. There are like more theatrical moments. Like sure. I think of Prague, the the Prague that I enjoy is almost like a diet concept album at times. Right. Where it's like it's telling a story and me as like a person who enjoys theater and storytelling in that format really grasps onto that. This is not a band who does that. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Right. So I'm not going to take points away because of that. I think uh, truly their lyrics are pretty average, though. I mean, realistically, Mm -hmm. maybe in the fives, like they're not below average. They're not a five. But I don't hear anything in the lyrics where I'm like blown away from a moment either. Right. And on the other hand, it never it certainly never takes you out. Correct. It never. And you're never even it's never even questionable. It's never like, oh, yeah. was that a good or a bad lyric? No, it's like you're always like, oh, that's pretty solid work. Oh, okay, yeah. that was pretty good work. So I would be okay with like a five, three, five, four. Perfect. Which one of those do you want? Five, four. Let's do it. Excellent. Rush. Uh, I also think there are some good things here. Um, yes. Ironically, yeah. also a very divisive part of the band. Sure. So like Getty Lee's voice, Neil Peart's lyrics. Right. I was reading like multiple of the same article. Like, article here saying, like, Neil Peart, like, top five greatest rock songwriters of all time, or lyricists of all time. Right. Like, article next to it, Neil Peart, the second worst rock lyricist of all time. <laughs> like, people just are super split on whether they love or hate his lyrics. Interesting. Which, is, which I think almost makes them better. Hmm. Like, the fact that there are people, like, you can universally hate something, right? Right. And we've listened to, or we've like, we listened to like Limp sure. Biscuit, where those lyrics are just bad, they and they're objectively bad. bad. Yes, and so you can't listen to them and have people who love the lyrics. You can okay. have people who don't give a shit about the lyrics, but you don't yeah, have people who sure. are like, "I super <laughs> loved the eighth time he said bitch in that song." Yeah, so understand. I think when you get to a gr- like more of the groups where people love or hate the lyrics, where they love them, and a lot of people love Neil Peart's lyrics. Then you're getting into subjectivity. Sure. And I think that's where we are here. So I think his lyrics are very subjective in terms of the people's opinion of them. Right. I think they got strong when he went more towards the fantastic. Okay. I think for me, and it's it's really interesting because I think Neil Peart, I've heard him speak. I've heard interviews with him. I heard him actually, I, I watched an interview of him discussing uh, Clockwork Angels right before they went on tour for it. Where he was saying that, like, as a musician, I think one of the best things that we have as a band is that I've liked each album that we've put out the most of ever, of ever. Like, any song we've oh, ever that's liked. cool. So, like, every time he they've released an album, he's felt like, this is the best we've ever been. Mm. And, and I think, and he, he said it in a very articulate way. I sure. really love the way he speaks. I am, I don't necessarily love his topical lyrics. Sure. I think that I, like, maybe it's because I don't necessarily agree with them when I get them. Maybe it's because they just don't click as well. But I think as much as I dislike his more topical, like, real-world experience lyrics, I thoroughly enjoy when he gets mythological, when he gets fantastic. Mm. I think he writes, like, I think he writes with more, like, to quote uh, Shelley, like, joie de vivre. Uh, Like, more, like, joy in life. Right. And so I think they almost cancel each other out for me. But okay. I, that means it's a good score for me. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm good, not great here again. That's where yeah. I land. Uh, yeah, and I'm probably higher here than I am with Straubs. Sure. Uh, 
I might even go as high as a six. And I'm not going to stop you from doing that. Cool. And then I'm just going to ask you if there's an X factor for either of these groups. <laughs> Listen, I think you can easily say that you could put an X factor for Rush. Sure, Straub's, so I'm give it a zero for Straub. Yeah, Straub's, unfortunately, I will not give them an X-Factor. I don't see anything. It's understandable. I mean, Rush, again, just the just the multitude of awards they've won mm-hmm. could give it to them. Their their philanthropy, sure. uh, their presence uh, of individual members on lists of the greatest musicians of all time. Right. Any of these things could, the, the, the microbiome. Uh, the microbes that are named after them could also give sure. them a little bit. Uh, so I think in terms of total number, mm-hmm. you could argue, I would say it has to be at least a point and could be as high as two points. Do you want to go somewhere in between there? I think we could. How about a 1.6? I'll just push you a little bit on the closer side of two. I like it. A 1.6 it is. So I have final scores. Okay. And here they are. In first place today, yeah. winning the episode... With a total of 40.7 points. Shout out to Straubs. <laughs> Is, of course, Rush. Yeah, 40 points. 40 points. When's Tough the last time that. we had, like, a true A? Uh, so in our, like, behind-the-scenes ranking, points. we have them graded. Uh, an A-plus is uh, 50 to 55, which we've had uh, twice, I believe. Sure. Of 40 to 50 is an A. 30 to 40 is a B, and down the line. It's been a while since we've had an A, though. I think it was Led Zeppelin in the season four finale. It might have been. But anyway, that's the 40.7. And in, in second place today is Straub's with what I will say is a really high second place score, 26.4. Oh, absolutely. 26.4. Would that have might have won, won last week. A cup. It would have been close last week, but not one. It would have won the week before that. It would have won the week before that. Yeah. And it so. would have won two weeks before that. So it would have won several times this week or this season, excuse me. So, I mean, listen. Good for Straubs. I mean, good a good for week Straubs. of a respectable, good for us. A respectable showing for sure. Indeed. Uh, so next week, we will be examining what happens when an artist versus the band he was in that made him famous. So. <laughs> It's going to be the band versus the solo career, uh, and I will leave it at that for you. Uh, yeah, that'll be, a, that'll be a fun one for sure. Well, cool, man. I think that's going to wrap us up here. Indeed. Uh, shout out to everyone for hanging out. Uh, thank you so much for listening each and every week to us here at Totem Talks. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying the journey we're going on with you this season. Uh, if you have any ideas of episodes... Uh, matchups, particularly like the verses, sure. uh, yeah. that would be fun for us or fun to talk about. Uh, hit us up, you know, use our social media, comment on any live video. We really try to go live on Thursdays, uh, right we around five thirty Eastern, five thirty ish Eastern. So, uh, check us out on twitch.tv slash totem talks and you can, uh, give us some, some feedback right there, right live while we're recording. Uh, or you can just comment on anything you find, leave us a review, all that fun stuff. But uh, most importantly, while you're listening to us, have a great day. <laughs>